Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's an old saying I'm sure many of you have heard before that goes like this, a repetition is the mother of learning. Let me say that again. Repetition is the mother of learning. That is to say, if you want to learn a concept or a process, you need to go over it again and again and again, and again and again. If a child wants to learn to tie his shoes, he needs to try it again and again. If a student wants to learn her times tables, she repeats them over and over. Repetition is the mother of learning. The same thing comes up when it comes to learning the Christian faith. Now, perhaps we might not appreciate a preacher who keeps repeating himself. However, it seems the Apostle Peter did not mind repeating himself. Listen to only what he says in our text this morning. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And again, he says, I think it is right to stir you up by way of reminder. And then again, I will make every effort so that you may be able at any time to recall or to remember these things. What are these things he is referring to? Well, he's referring to the things he just told them in the, in the beginning of the letter, in verses 1 to 11. And this includes the things God has done for us in Christ Jesus to save us. And it also includes the virtues we add to our faith in response to God's salvation. The Apostle Peter, by the Holy Spirit, he wants to drill these things into our heads. And so three times he speaks about remembering these things. And that's also why I've worded the, the theme for the sermon this morning as I have. And that does bring us to the sermon theme. Remember, remember, remember God's salvation and your response. And the, we'll see that the Apostle Peter emphasizes this, first of all, because his own death would soon happen. And second of all, because Christ's return most emphatically will happen. So again, the things the Holy Spirit wants to keep reminding us of are, are found at the, at the beginning of uh, this chapter. It starts with some of the things God has done for us. This is what we, we hear. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for body and soul, for eternal life, God has given it to us in Christ. He has called us to His own glory and excellence. We will enjoy the glory of God forever. He has granted us His precious and very great promises. Promises such as the forgiveness of our sins and everlasting life. And we are partakers of the divine nature, that is, we are by the power of the Holy Spirit being recreated into the image of God. Such wonderful things God has done for us to save us from our sins. And then as we see from the first part of that chapter, he lists a, a set of virtues we make every effort to, to add to our faith. 
This includes excellence, knowledge, self-control, a steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So these two categories of things, God's salvation and our response, they are the basics of the Christian life. Let us know them deeply. Let us, let us live by them. Let us do what we can to remember Remember, remember them and hold on to them. Listen to how eager Peter is to emphasize this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He's in effect saying, yes, you you already know this stuff. And yes, I'm repeating myself but I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to know this. The Apostle Peter is like King Solomon in Proverbs 7, My son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments with you, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablets of your heart. So how can, how can we do that, practically speaking? How can we more and more remember these things and, and hold on to them. Well, there's some simple things we can do. We can do this by regular Bible reading, regular Bible study, being in the Word of God. And this also comes through faithfully attending church, listening to the preaching of God's Word. And this is also why we, we go through the catechism year after year in our afternoon services, the catechism contains these basic truths, these central truths of the Christian faith, and it's good for us to be reminded of them again and again. This is also why the younger members, some of the younger members, attend catechism class for multiple years. Remember these things. Be established in them. And what's one of the best ways to remember these things? Well, it's by memorizing Scripture. And I would encourage you to do that. Take some time, memorize some Bible passages. You could start with some of what we read in 2 Peter 1. What about memorizing the virtues listed in verses 5, 6, and 7? Something great to to have on your heart. Or if you're up for a greater challenge, make it a goal to memorize the the first 11 verses of this chapter or even the entire chapter. Perhaps that sounds a bit daunting, but it's so beneficial to memorize Scripture. Now, at this point, we may wonder why the Apostle Peter, why is he emphasizing this so much? There is a note of urgency in his words, and our, our text mentions a, a couple of reasons why, why Peter is, is saying this. The first one is found in verses 13 and 14. He says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So the Apostle Peter, he knew 
that he was about to die. Wouldn't take long. And the Lord Jesus told Peter in places like John 21 that he would die in a similar way to Christ himself. Now, our ESV translation, in our ESV translation, Peter says he will soon put off his body. However, to give a literal translation, Peter actually says, soon he will put off his tent. And these words in themselves deserve some attention. Peter will soon put off the tent of his body. He will put it away. And he calls his body a tent because his body is not yet glorified. was not yet immortal. was not yet perfected. Still prone to sin and to weakness. So the current state of his body as it was, it was not permanent. The Apostle Paul uses the same metaphor in 2 Corinthians 5. There he says, We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And the good news is that these things are not just for the apostles. This is a truth for all believers. This weak, weak, frail body is like a tent. It's not permanent, the situation we find ourselves in. I'm sure most of you have camped in a tent before. Maybe you've done so this summer already. And camping in a tent, it can be fun for a while, good for a holiday, but I'm fairly positive that none of you would like to sleep in a tent for the rest of your life. In fact, maybe by the end of your camping trip, maybe even after just one week, you think to yourself, you know, camping was fun, but I don't really want to sleep in this tent for much longer I want to go home to my house, and I want to sleep in my own bed. Well, it's the same with these bodies, these frail, weak bodies. It's not a permanent situation. We long for our bodies to be glorified, to be freed from sin, to be freed from sickness and pain. That's what Christ has won for us by His death and resurrection. In Christ Jesus, we look forward to putting aside this body in which we so often groan. We long to be glorified in the presence of God. And Peter sorry, was soon to put aside the tent of his body. And that created the urgency to impress these things upon his readers. 
He only had so much time left. And this was such a pivotal, pivotal uh, time in church history. The New Testament church was built upon the foundation of the apostles, including Peter. So he wants to give lasting instructions to the church. They can hold on to after he's gone. So the Spirit, through Peter, he urges the church, he urges us to remember these things. Remember God's salvation. Remember your response. Put it into practice. Keep coming back to this. Keep building the church through the generations by this message. Let nothing move you. And in this, we also see the love God gave Peter for the church. Peter was near the end of his life. He could have thought to himself, you know what? I've done enough. I'm going to put up my feet and just enjoy life. Forget about that hard work, building the church of Christ. No, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his attitude was different. He's concerned about the future of the church's brothers and sisters in the Lord who are yet to come. And so he does what he can to benefit the church in the future while he is still on this earth. What a great attitude for us to take on as well. See, all of us here, as we're sitting here in this building listening to a sermon, all of us, including me, We've benefited from the church-building work of those who have lived before us. And this can include simply the faithful work of office-bearers generations ago. It can be the regular preaching of the gospel by faithful preachers in years past. It can be simply faithful Christian parents raising children to God's glory. It can be the church-building efforts of regular members from times gone by. Or maybe the faithful teaching of a Christian school teacher to covenant children. You see, we have benefited from the church-building efforts of those who have gone before us. And may we take on that attitude also. And by God's blessing, our church-building work now will benefit the church in the future. Even after... We are, we are no longer here. Maybe we don't see how our work bears fruit in this life, but God can use it to keep building His church through the generations. So let me ask you, how will you benefit the future of the church by your work now? That brings us to our second point. So there's another reason why the Apostle Peter, he wants to emphasize that we remember uh, these things in this chapter. We see that in the last half of our text. In verse 16, he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, in this Peter is almost certainly referring to, to Christ's second coming the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, the apostles spread everywhere the message that the Son of God had come in the flesh, and in His first coming, Christ came to bear the sins of all those who would believe in Him. And also, Christ conquered death by His resurrection, and after His resurrection, He ascended into heaven. They proclaimed that message. They also proclaimed that Christ would come again with power and glory. And the, reader of, the readers of Peter's letter, they had already heard this, this message. Here Peter affirms it again, and he emphasizes to them, we are not making this stuff up. This is not a made-up religion you're following. The apostles didn't get together one day and craft stories to fool people. Christ has risen, He is the ascended and glorified Lord, and He will come again. What makes Peter so convinced? I'm sure we could cite many reasons, but there are two reasons in our text. The first one comes from his own experience. Listen to what he says. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. When He received honor and glory from God the Father, we were with Him on the holy mountain. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty, says Peter. Here he's most certainly referring to the transfiguration of Christ, which we read from earlier. See, the Lord Jesus, He took Peter, James, and John up a, a high mountain, and while they were there, suddenly Jesus was changed before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And His face shone like the sun. And then a cloud came down upon them, and a voice came from the cloud. It was the voice of God the Father. He said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And what an event for Peter to witness. To put it somewhat crudely, that event must have been somewhat burned on his eyeballs. He had never seen anything like this before. And there was no forgetting or mistaking what he had just seen. Peter was also an eyewitness to the resurrection ascension of Jesus Christ. And so he knew that the glimpse of Christ's glory that he saw in the transfiguration, he knew that this was now the permanent state of Christ in heaven. As Peter performed his work as an apostle, he probably thought often he probably thought back often to the transfiguration. See, he had caught a glimpse of the glory and majesty of Christ, and that was now permanently given to Jesus in heaven. And this glorified Christ would come back to this earth in that same glory. And knowing that would spur Peter on to do his work faithfully to spread everywhere the message of Christ 
the ascended Lord, would motivate him to see as many people as possible enter the kingdom of the glorified Christ. Peter gives another reason why he's so sure the glorified Christ will come back. It's found in verse 19, where he writes, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's talking about the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament Scriptures. God's Word, the Bible, gave Peter, it gives us this confidence that Christ will return. Now, what does he mean when he says that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed? Well, there are two ways we could understand it. It could be that he's simply saying we have the the very certain or very trustworthy prophetic word, which is true. It also could be that he's saying to the same effect, uh, the Old Testament Scriptures are the Word of God, so they are reliable in and of themselves. However, now that Christ has come and has fulfilled the words of the prophets, the truth of the Scriptures has been even more fully confirmed in our hearts. You see, when we read the Old Testament Scriptures in light of Christ, can see so clearly the truth of them. The things foretold in the Old Testament are so clearly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They are more fully confirmed. And think of the transfiguration again. In the transfiguration, Jesus and three of his disciples went up a high mountain. Peter calls it the holy mountain. God the Father spoke concerning His Son, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Notice how that matches with the prophecy in Psalm 2, which we sang from. In Psalm 2, the Lord says, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill, or holy mountain, as we could translate it. And then it says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Surely the transfiguration is confirming for us that Psalm 2 about the Christ is fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ, the Savior. And that's just one example. The entire Old Testament, read it in, pers- in the light of Christ. It's jam-packed with examples of stories and prophecies and promises that are fulfilled in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Scriptures are confirmed in Him. How can the Scriptures do this? It's because the Bible is not just words from humans. It's the Word of God. This is what we read in our text. Know, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what we call inspiration. Yes, human authors wrote down the words, Peter was one such author. Who is the ultimate author? God, Holy Spirit, men spoke from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
See, we may not have had Peter's own experience of witnessing the transfiguration, but we have the Bible. And that Bible shows that it's the Word of God. And this is what gives us certainty in our faith. And as an aside, let me also make a point of affirming this a moment. Maybe you are weak in faith. Maybe you have doubts about the truthfulness of the Bible. Maybe you've had a university professor who put doubts in your mind. But listen to this instead. You can put away those doubts. The Bible is the Word of God. It is trustworthy. It is true. And the Son of God really did come to this earth. He really did suffer and die on a cross and rise again from the dead for our salvation. It is sure you can count on it. Do not doubt. This is also what gives us certainty about the return of Christ. For the Scriptures testify that He will come again. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And this is another reason why Peter affirms, look, we're not making up fairy tales. You have my eyewitness that I'm willing to die for. You have God's Word. So he says, you do well to pay attention to them. They're like a lamp shining in a dark place. Let me make another camping reference. When you're camping, one essential tool is a good flashlight. If you're caught out after sundown, and you don't have a flashlight, it's far from fun. But if you have a fl- your flashlight with you, you can simply push a button. Suddenly the light cuts through the darkness. You know where to walk without hurting yourself. You can make your way through the darkness. And the Word of God is like that flashlight. It's essential for life in this dark world. Pay attention to it says the Holy Spirit. It will guide you, give you knowledge of salvation. Pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is another reference to the return of Christ. Christ is a bright morning star. At certain times, a planet like Venus will shine brightly in the eastern sky just before the dawn, marking the coming of the day. When Christ returns, He will bring the dawn of the everlasting day. And then our faith will be sight. So remember these things. Remember these things in light of Christ's return. Amen.